Today we are looking at Acts chapter 1. We're going to see Paul's arrest as he finally makes it to Jerusalem today. Let's pray and then we'll dive into this. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, we invite you right now as we are worshiping you with our minds and our hearts through the study of your word, that you by your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We we invite you, Lord, to challenge us, to transform us. And we thank you for the way, God, that your word is living and powerful and it works in our lives. So we give you this time now in Jesus' name. And everyone said? A friend of mine has this saying on a wall in his church, we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. That's a bold statement, and it's one that I think the Apostle Paul would wholeheartedly agree with, because Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul was willing to bend. He was willing to you know, do anything that he possibly could to reach lost people. He said this in that same chapter, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ that Jesus, he summed it up in this way, that that all the law could be summed up in these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul said, I lived according to that law, but he continues, when I am with those who are weak, I share weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with anyone doing everything I can to save some. Well, in our passage today, we are going to see Paul exemplify that mindset of seeking to be all things to all men that he might win some. Now, we have a huge passage to cover today. We're going to be looking at 55 verses, and uh, we're going to do that in about 48 minutes. So uh, strap in, hold on for this fast-paced ride. But there's four things we're going to see today as we see Paul, and we're looking at this in, in its entirety because it's the story of his arrest. And we're going to see four things we can learn from Paul today. Number one, we'll see how to combat rumors with love, grace, and understanding. The second thing we're going to see is the power and importance of sharing our own story, how we came to know Jesus. And then we're going to see how everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then finally, we'll see how there are times when it's important that we stand for our rights. So we've seen in previous studies that Paul has been wanting to get to Jerusalem. We're going to pick it up in verse 15 where he finally 
arrives in Jerusalem. He's traveling, just to set this up, with about 12 to 15 guys. Many of them are Gentiles that he has picked up on the journey. These are guys that are in the churches that Paul has started. He's come to visit them. They're hearing he's going to Jerusalem, and they want to go with him. Now think about this. Many of these Gentiles, they've never been to Jerusalem. They've never been to Israel. There would be no reason for a Gentile to go to Israel or to visit Jerusalem. But these guys now have come to faith in Christ, and and they're going to the place where, where everything that they believed, it started. The cross, the resurrection, it all happened in Jerusalem. Think about how excited they would be. I mean, it'd be like some of you when you've gone with us to Israel. And I see you get on that plane. It's a 15-hour flight, but you are so excited. I'm going to Israel. I'm going to walk where Jesus walked. That's how these guys would have felt. We pick it up, verse 15. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. And also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain nasum of Cyprus, a, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and the elders were present. Now think about this. These guys, they're, they're going to meet James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He's the head of the church at that time. And think about how exciting they would be. Like, we're going to meet James. Like, really? Can I get his autograph? I mean, they would just be so excited. And they're meeting the rest of the, the elders. And verse 19 says, when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God, the speaking of Paul, had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul gives this this testimony of God moving and working in his first two missionary journeys in, in reaching the Gentiles and how all these churches were started. And verse 20 says, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Now we would wish that the chapter just ended right there. That would be a great ending to this chapter. The, the Gentiles were welcomed and, and they were rejoicing in what God had done. But unfortunately, that's not where it ends. Look at the second part of verse 20. And they said to him, that would be they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many myriads, that that's, means thousands of Jews, there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. Now, the first part of that statement would have been music to Paul's ears. Thousands of his Jewish countrymen had come to faith in Christ. But the second part of that statement about them being zealous for the law would have been a little bit concerning. You see, although many of the Jews had come to faith in Jesus, many of them were still clinging to their Jewish roots. They were still continuing to live under the law of Moses. One commentator I read put it this way. They were saved by believing in Jesus, but they believed that they were kept by following the law of Moses, the ceremonial law, all the rituals, all the washings. And these law-minded Jewish believers, they weren't sure what to do with the apostle Paul. And this is what Paul's going to discover. He's going to discover that there were some rumors that were being shared about him amongst the believers there in Jerusalem. We pick it up in verse 21. But they had informed 
been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. Now, these were rumors and they weren't true. Paul never said any such thing that the Jews should live in that way. You know, rumors can be so damaging, can't they? There was a woman who was living in a Middle Eastern country in a small little village, and one day she heard some some gossip about another lady in that village, and she took that gossip and she shared it with a couple other people, but then later came to discover that, that it was not true. But the damage was already done, and the person who had been gossiped about was really, really hurt. And so this lady who had spread the rumor, she really, really wanted to, you know, make things right. And so she went to this old sage, this old guy, you know, wise man in that village and said, what can I do to make this right? And he told her, go into the market and buy a fowl, buy a bird, have it killed. And then as you're walking home, I want you to just to pluck all the feathers off of that that bird and just let him lie on the road and she thought that's a really weird (laughs) advice but I'll do it and so she she did it and she came back the next day and said okay I did what you told me to do now what he says well now I want you to go back and I want you to pick up all those feathers well she went back she came to discover that it had been windy the night before and all the feathers had blown off the road and she could only find three of them and she came back and said I only could find three of them and then the old sage said this to her it's easy to drop them but impossible to bring them all back and then he said this so too it does not take much to spread a false rumor but you can never completely undo the wrong it's heavy isn't it we got to be careful we got to be careful about the rumors, the gossip. The, you know, the Bible, gossip is a sin. I just want you to know that, okay? You know, um, Galatians chapter 5, it's listed in a long list of, of sins where it says, and those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a heavy thought um, for another time, but because uh, we have a lot of verses together. So, um, <laughs> so these rumors were flying about Paul, and the leaders there in the church, they have a solution of what Paul should do. Look at verse 22. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Now, this was probably a Nazarite vow that these men had taken, which was a vow of consecration, where they would abstain from certain food, they would abstain from wine, they wouldn't cut their hair for a period of time. In fact, we saw back in Acts chapter 18, Paul took a similar vow of consecration. So this is their advice, verse 24. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that these things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing. They're not true in other words, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now, we talked about that last part as it relates to the Gentiles back in Acts chapter 15, and and we're not going to talk about that today, but this was what they had decided that this is the only thing the Gentiles need to worry about, but basically this is what they were saying to Paul. 
Paul, if you want to be accepted by the Jewish leaders, by your Jewish brethren here in Jerusalem, show them that you haven't completely forsaken your Jewish roots by going along with these guys in this this ritual of purification. Now, here's the thing. There wasn't anything wrong with what they were asking Paul to do. There was nothing wrong with with, with him doing this, but at the same time, it wasn't necessary for him to do this. So here's the question. What is Paul going to do? What would you do? Well, here's our first point. We learn from Paul how to combat rumors with love, grace, and understanding. Look at verse 26. Then Paul took them in, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So Paul goes along with this plan. Now, here's what I want you to note, though. Paul could have stood his ground. Paul could have have said, hey, God, God knows my heart. God knows I'm not spreading you know, those kind of false teachings or I'm not encouraging the Jewish people in that type of way. I'm not, I'm not encouraging the Jewish people to forsake anything. God knows that. And Paul also know, knew full well the freedom that we have in Christ. He knew that there's really no need to get caught up in unnecessary Rituals. In fact, Paul would write these words to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 2. He said this, Let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. You see, Paul clearly understood that all of the rituals connected to the law of Moses were merely shadows of pointing to Jesus, that Jesus, he's the real deal. Jesus is the real thing. And many of the Jewish Christians were still living in the shadows, even though they had come to Christ. So Paul could have resisted their request and boldly flaunted his freedom in Jesus. But out of love, he goes along with this request. You know, Paul would write later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, that the key to using our liberty in Christ properly is to show love toward others. And showing love means, this is what he said, is I'm, I'm not going to do something that I know is biblically okay for me to do. I'm not going to do it, though, if it might stumble or offend my brother and sister in Jesus. In fact, Paul went so far as to say there in 1 Corinthians that I would rather forfeit my liberty than cause another one of my brothers or sisters to stumble. So we see Paul responded to these rumors with love and grace and understanding that he didn't compromise his faith at all, but he was willing to go along, he was willing to bend in this area that really didn't matter one way or another. If it meant winning the hearts of his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I want to take this scene that we're just read about here, and let's bring it into our context. Because we as followers of Jesus live in a day and age where there are many false 
rumors being spread, many false accusations being spread about Christians, right? And there are rumors such as accusations like this that we hate people who are LGBTQ, or we hate people who have had an abortion or who have worked at an abort or who work at an abortion clinic. Now, some of those rumors might be true about some Christians, but definitely not all of us. And it's definitely not the heart of Christ. You know, it's, I think, been rightfully said that Jesus has been the victim of a lot of bad PR and a lot of it has come from his friends. I think that is true. So here's the thing. How do we combat false rumors like this? Or let me state it another way. How do we show love and grace and understanding and still stand for what is true? I think it comes down to this. That we have to, we must stand for the biblical principles of truth. We have to. But at the same time, we, we need to be loving. We need to learn how to love those who are lost and confused. That's the balance that we seek to uh, walk in as followers of Jesus Christ. So here's one way that we here at Calvary Vista seek to do this. Some of the, the, those here that, that they seek to show that, that love, standing for truth, but show love by volunteering at birth choice. The Pregnancy Resource Center, helping people who have had an unwanted pregnancy. Or here's another way that you, you could do this is, is show up and be a part of one of our Love Life prayer walks that takes place on a Saturday morning where people from our church go and they, they show up there at Planned Parenthood where abortions are happening right here in Vista and they stand outside of that place there on the sidewalk across the street and they pray. And they pray. And there are some who who stand there and they want to talk to people that are going into that place to possibly have an abortion. And there's no yelling. There's no protesting. There's no signs. There's no hate speech going on. It's just lovingly having a presence in that place to offer an alternative to say, hey, that baby that's inside of you has been made by God and God loves him and God loves you and there's another alternative. In fact, if you are overwhelmed with this pregnancy, we'll walk with you all the way through it and we even know people that would want to adopt that child. That's a way. That we can stand for truth, but still show the, the love of Jesus Christ and combat the rumors that people are saying about us that we hate those people. Here's another idea. If you know someone or work with someone who is living a LGBTQ lifestyle, have them over for dinner, take them out to lunch. Ask them their story. Say, hey, you know what? Tell me your story. I mean, you know, how'd you end up in, in this type of lifestyle? You'll be surprised they'll, uh, how they'll want to talk to you. You know, that's what Jesus did. That's why, listen to me, that's why Jesus was called the friend of sinners 
of prostitutes, those who were openly sexually immoral, and he was called the friend of tax collectors who were the, would be the thugs and embezzlers of that day. He sat with those people. He ate with those people. And they were drawn to him. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus was considered the friend of the, the, the people that most of the amoral people in that society and those who were part of the religious community absolutely despised. But somehow those people that others despised felt comfortable being around Jesus. Who would make up the sinners, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors in our context? Well, the sinners, those would be anyone living in rebellion against God and choosing to not walk with God. Who would be the the prostitutes? Well, those who are pursuing openly, sexually immoral lifestyles. Well, that would be anybody living in adultery. Anybody engaging in sexual immorality outside of marriage, that, that couple, you know, in your neighborhood that's living together, and it would be anybody pursuing a gay and lesbian lifestyle. What about tax collectors? Who, who would those people be? Well, that would be the gangbangers, the drug dealers, the gangsters. That's how tax collectors were viewed. In that day, it wasn't like people today working for the IRS, okay? It was a completely different, you know, deal. If you work for the IRS, please, I'm not saying that you are, you know, some evil person, all right? But the tax collectors, they were crooks. But Jesus was called the friend of all of those types of people. How amazing is that? That those people literally felt comfortable in his presence, and Jesus would say to us, this is how the world are gonna know, is gonna know that you are my disciples, that you belong to me. They're gonna know this by your love. Not your great music, not your Bible knowledge, not your political affiliation. No, it's gonna be seen in the way that you love people, in the way that you love lost Guys, we are living right now. We are living in the midst of a cultural war, aren't we? And we must stand on the principles of God's word. But we must also find the balance, that fine line of standing in principle, but at the same time loving and caring about lost people. How do we do that? Well, we stand for principle by voting, using that privilege that we have. We stand for principle by going to a school board meeting, for instance, to say that it violates the rights of our kids to say that a transgender person who is biologically a male but but wants to identify as a female can go ahead and use the same locker room as our daughters. We stand up and we say, that's not right. It's not right for somebody who is biologically male but identifies as a female and wants to play on the girls' soccer team or girls' softball team or basketball team. We stand up and say, hey, 
that's not right. That's wrong. There shouldn't be any confusion because we're standing on the word of God that says this. It tells us this is truth. God made them all male and female. Plain and simple. So we stand on principle, and I will do that all day long to convey the principle that this is right and that is wrong, and I'll do that as firmly and as lovingly as I possibly can. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to raise my voice. But I'm going to share, look, the Bible and human anatomy and science all convey that this is true. God made them male and female. But at the same time, if I had the opportunity to take that transgender student to lunch and get to know them, I would absolutely do that. Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus, that's why he was called the friend of tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes. Our Jesus looked at people, so, lost people, so much differently than we do. He saw them as being like sheep without a shepherd. And so he loved them, and he had compassion on them. And they were comfortable being around him. But he never, ever compromised the principles of God's word. And I think we as his followers have to figure out how to do that in this present cultural moment. Does that make sense? Church, listen, if we are going to combat the false rumors and accusations that are being made about the church and fulfill our mission as followers of Jesus Christ to spread the gospel to a lost world, we have to figure out how to do that, do this. And it's going to mean that we have to break out of our comfort zones a little bit. So the first thing we learn from Paul is how to combat these rumors with the conduct that is loving and gracious and understanding. And I want you to note this. Paul does the right thing here. He does the right thing, showing love and grace and understanding to win the hearts of his Jewish brothers and sisters. And when you do the right thing, don't you expect that there's going to be a right outcome? How many of you raise your hand? You know, you right thing, right outcome. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. And that often doesn't happen to us either. And we need to understand that. Look at verse 27. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, now this is a whole different group. These are unbelieving Jews who have come to Jerusalem because it's the Feast of Pentecost and they were required to go. So they're not followers of Jesus, in other words. Seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This man who teaches, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law in this place. And furthermore, he has also brought grief into the temple and has defiled this holy place. This wasn't true, but this is why they thought that. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So here's some more rumors. This time it's unbelieving Jews that are spreading this, and this is going to lead to Paul's arrest. And I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. Everything that is happening to Paul, everything that we're, we're witnessing right now has a goal, has a purpose, a God-ordained purpose in mind. And it's, it's related to what Jesus showed Paul 
at his conversion, around the time of his conversion. Remember, we talked about this last week. That the Lord told Paul that he was going to be his chosen vessel to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. And we, we've seen Paul do that, right? Over and over again. He goes into a city, goes, starts in the synagogue to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Jews. And the Lord said, you, you'll be my chosen vessel to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And we've seen Paul do that too. That he's went and started all these Gentile churches of believers that, you know, Gentiles that have become believers in Jesus Christ. And the Lord told him, and you're going to suffer for my namesake. And we have seen that as well. Paul has suffered greatly in his following of Christ. But at that same time, Jesus said, and you're going to bring, you're going to testify of me to kings and rulers. We haven't seen that yet. But this is all what God is doing. This is part of why Paul's going to get arrested, as we're going to see in the coming chapters, him speaking to kings and rulers. So Paul doesn't know this is what God's doing. He's just trying to live moment by moment, day by day, following Jesus as best as he can. But here we see this new rumor. Paul's taking Gentiles into the temple. Now, why would that be such a bad thing? Well, the Jews... In their temple, they had these three areas, three courts. There was an outer court where the Gentiles, they called it the court of the Gentiles. They were only allowed to go there. Then there was a, the next court, which is the court of the women. That's where the women would go to pray. And then there was the inner court, and that's where Jewish men would bring their sacrifice to give to the priests to offer up for their families. Now, on the, in the court of the Gentile, there was a sign. And the sign read this. Imagine this. Any Gentile that goes beyond this sign is responsible for his own death. And the Romans gave the Jewish people the right to kill, to stone to death, any Gentile who violated that or anyone who brought a Gentile beyond that wall. And this is why the the Jewish people, God didn't instruct them to do that, but the Jewish people, they believe that Gentiles, if they went into the other parts of the temple, they would profane it. Because they believe that Gentiles were hated by God, that they were worse than dogs. In fact, the rabbis taught that this is what Gentiles are good for, to fuel the fires of hell. That's what they believed. Their prejudice was so great. But by by creating these rules and ideas about God, that what the Jewish people were, what they were doing was completely missing why God had chosen them. God didn't choose the Jew. He told them, I didn't choose you guys because you were a superior race. In fact, you were insignificant. You were small. I chose you so I could work in you and you guys could be a sign and be used by me to bring salvation to the rest of the world. That was God's heart for the Jewish people. And it would ultimately be realized by Jesus, who was born a Jewish man. And he came to rescue all of humanity from their sin. But the Jews didn't realize this. And so they thought, we're better. Gentiles are worse. Now, I want, again, let's put this in our context. Let's, let's consider out in the courtyard, let's say we had a, a sign on the door that led into the building that said this, unbelievers can't come in. 
Or let's say that, that we had a sign on the front door here that said, you can't come in until you are a follower of Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, that's stupid, Pastor Rob. We would never put up a sign like that. And I agree with you, we wouldn't do that. But can we, by our attitudes, listen to me, portray a similar message that says something like this, if you're going to be a part of this church, you better fall in line with all of our convictions, socially, morally. Hey, if you're going to be a part of this church, you, you, you better believe the same way that we do politically. I'm stepping on some toes right now. Listen, don't get mad at me and leave the church. Come talk to me. The story's told of Gandhi. That Gandhi had been reading the Gospels and he had become really impressed with Jesus. So he decided to go to a Christian church one Sunday to be with these Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But when he showed up at this particular church, the ushers would not let him go into the sanctuary because they said that this church was for Indians of a high caste and white people only, and he was not an Indian of high caste, and he wasn't uh, white. And so because of that, he wasn't allowed in. And because of that rejection, Gandhi turned his back on Christianity. He was a practicing Hindu. And he would later write these words, I'd be a Christian today if it were not for Christians. Unfortunately, I think that is the sentiment of many people today who have been turned off by Christians who have not reflected the, the heart of Christ at all toward unbelievers. Christians who spend all of their time majoring on minor issues. When Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the heart of Jesus toward the broken and the confused. It's come to me. Listen, the church is to be a hospital for broken and hurting people, not a waiting room for the healthy. We need to understand that. In Revelation chapter 22, the the end of the Bible, it says, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, and the bride. Who's the bride? We are the church. What do we say? Come. Come. We want you to escape the judgment that is coming. So come to Christ. But guys, sometimes our actions can speak louder than our words. So what are our words communicating? Well, back to our story. So Paul was being accused of profaning the temple. We'll pick it up in verse 30. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together and seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Verse 31. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, this is crazy, right? Talk about religious zeal. News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, that was a no-no. Your job was in jeopardy if, if you were a Roman commander and uproar was happening in Jerusalem. Your job was to keep the peace. So this guy's, you know, freaking out a bit. Verse 32. So he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating. Note that, Paul. 
And then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. So he's asking the crowd. And some among the multitude cried one thing and another. So there's no clear answer. I mean, the mob just got together. Hey, why are we rioting? Why are we beating this guy up? No one knows. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded Paul to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him. I mean, this is intense. And then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And the commander replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian of who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? So this happened a few years before. There was this Egyptian guy that came to Jerusalem, gathered all these guys that wanted to rebel against Rome, and he was going to, you know... Uh, uh, lead this, you know, insurrection. And the Romans came in and they stomped this out. But somehow this Egyptian leader escaped. So Paul's thinking, or the Roman commander's thinking, aren't you that guy? And Paul knows what he says, verse 39. He says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city. We're like kind people. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a hater, is what Paul's saying, you know. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Pause right there. Don't you love Paul? And here he gets, these guys are beating him up and he gets rescued and they're taking him, you know, to, to get him out of harm's way. And he's like, wait, 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 can I talk to these people? <laughs> and here we see the second point that we learn from Paul, the power of sharing your story. And when you share your story about how people, or how you met Jesus, people listen to that. And they can't argue with it when you say, look, I was messed up. I was messed up and Jesus rescued me. And this is what Paul's going to do here. Look at verse 40. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. And so he's got this captive audience. He's bleeding, and they're looking at him. And then we come to chapter 22. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said to them, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarshish of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was the chief rabbi. I mean, if you were, in his, if you were one of his students, you were, you were like in the in crowd. I mean, it'd be like today saying, I graduated from Harvard Law School. You know, I mean, this is a big deal. And, and he says, so I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, was taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you guys are today. He said, look, I understand. And then he says this, I persecuted the way. That's what they called the followers of Jesus. I persecuted the way to the death. In other words, Paul's saying, I had Christians killed. 
binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears witness, me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. And at this point, everybody listening to Paul, I mean, they would be in full agreement. They've calmed down. They're nodding their heads. Some of them would be like, amen, Preach it, brother. Notice what he says in verse 6. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and they were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. And so I said, what shall I do, Lord? Now pause there for a moment and here we see our next point. That for Paul, and the same thing should be true for us, everything hinges on the resurrection. And Paul gets to this pivotal place in his story where everything in his life changed. And it happened on this day when he encountered a resurrected Jesus Christ. And suddenly he realized that all the stories he had heard about Jesus were true, that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, that he was the Messiah. And upon encountering Jesus, Paul asks here two pivotal questions that would change the entire course of his life. We see the first one in verse 8 when he says, who are you, Lord? And the second one in verse 10 when he says, and what shall I do, Lord? Those two questions became the passion and the pursuit of Paul for the rest of his life. His passion, who are you, Lord? That's that's what I'm about. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him in the the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I lay aside everything that I might know him better. My whole goal and thing I'm praying about is that I might grow in my knowledge and understanding who, who Jesus was. That was his passion. And his pursuit was, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? Paul's passion and pursuit is really the passion and pursuit of our church. We sum it up this way, that our passion is to know him and our pursuit is to make him known. To know Jesus and to make him known. Everything in Paul's life that we have seen so far in the book of Acts is connected to this moment. All the beatings, all the travel, all the rejection, all the preaching, every journey is hinged upon the fact that Paul knew Jesus is risen from the dead. We could say this, Paul was living for an audience of one. When Lou Little was the football coach at Georgetown University, there was a guy on his team that wasn't really very good, hardly got to play, but The coach just loved his heart. He loved his effort. He loved his attitude. And when this guy's, uh, this kid's dad would come visit the campus, he, the coach just loved watching him walk around the campus. He and his dad with their arms, you know, around each other, just walking arm in arm. Well, one day the boy got news. It was right before a big game with Fordham University that his father had 
had suddenly died of a heart attack. He went home to, you know, for the funeral, but he came back three days before the big game, and he came to the coach, and he said, Coach, you got to let me play. you got to let me play. you got to let me start the game this week. I know that's what my dad would have really, really wanted. And so the coach said, okay, I'll, I'll let you start, but I'm only going to let you play two plays. Well, he started the boy on defense, and that boy... He started him in the first two plays. He never took him out. For, the, for the, all the defensive stance for the whole game, this guy ran around the field. He blocked like he was an All-American. And after the game was over, he said, Son, you've never played like that. What got into you? And he said, Well, well, Coach, you know when you used to see me walk around campus with my dad? And we'd have our arms around each other. The reason why I did that is my dad was totally blind. And today was the first day he ever got to see me play. Isn't that amazing? His desire to please someone that he loved and someone that was not visibly present made all the difference. And so too with Paul. Because he was living for an audience of one, living for the one he could not see, but knew was alive because he knew that Jesus had risen from the dead and was sitting on the throne in heaven, watching him and cheering him on and praying for him. That made Paul, wherever he went, and, and, he, and, and he would do whatever, go, he would, it made Paul go wherever Jesus wanted him to go and do whatever Jesus wanted him to do. And I ask you this question, all of us need to answer, who's the audience you're living for today? Is it your parents? Is it your spouse? Is it your friends? Or is it Jesus? You see, when we truly believe that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he is alive and that he is in heaven and that he's praying for us and he's cheering us on, that makes all the difference in the world. Now, here's what's remarkable to me as I read this story. This crowd that was ready to kill Paul is mesmerized by his story. They're drawn into the story about the resurrection. We'll pick it up again. Verse 10. We're almost done. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus Verse 12, and then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then, and then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have have seen and heard and now why are you waiting arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the lord so paul's saying this is how i came to follow jesus and then he talks about his first visit to jerusalem in verse 17 now it happened when i returned to jerusalem and was praying in the temple that i was in a trance and i saw him saying to me speaking of jesus make haste and get out of jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me 
And so I said to the Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And, and when, when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was there standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. But then he said to me, depart and I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now at this moment, everything goes south. At this moment, when Paul mentions that Jesus is going to send him to the Gentiles, the hatred and the prejudice of the Jewish people toward the Gentiles was so strong that everything Paul just said made no difference. In their minds, false teacher. God's not into the Gentiles. And so it says, verse 22, they listened to him until his word, or until this word, and when they had raised their voices, they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And then as they cried out and tore their clothes and threw dust in the air, so this crowd's going crazy, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that they might know why they shouted against him. So this commander says, we'll get the truth out of him. We're going to beat it out of him. And this brings us to our final point. There are times when the right thing for us to do is to stand for our rights. And that's what we see Paul does here. Notice verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. And then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the commander answered and said, with a large sum, I obtained my citizenship. I had to buy my citizenship. And Paul said, hey, I was born a citizen. And then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him, because listen, the law of Rome said explicitly that no Roman was to be bound without due process of law. And furthermore, they were not to be beaten under any circumstance, even if they were convicted. And the penalty for doing so was death. So this commander knew he could be in a lot of trouble for what he just did to Paul. And here we see that Paul's actually using the state to protect him. And this is what I want you to catch as we wrap this up today. Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen, but he used them, listen to me, not as his first resort, but as his last resort. Because more than standing for his rights, Paul was interested in seeing people come to Jesus. And church, we have to be so careful that we don't make our rights as Americans our first and primary message and pursuit to the point that we lose our opportunity to share the gospel with people who are lost. So we wrap this up. We need to be people who are living for an audience of one, which is the most freeing way to live. We need to be people committed to knowing Jesus and making him known. We need to be a church that is a hospital for the broken, not a waiting room for the healthy. 
And we need to be willing to do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Amen?